if you're part of God's wonderful people and family, say amen this morning. All right. That's good. Got a couple of you we need to work on, but that's all right. Well, God is good. Amen. Uh, he's always good to us and uh, gives us much more than we deserve, for sure. And um, even in our worst times and our worst days, on our worst days, we always have the hope of glory, the goodness of God um, that's always there. And, of course, His ability to go on merely meeting a need in our life. And uh, this morning, we're back in uh, Philippians, and tonight we're going to move on here in, uh, to chapter 3, uh, continuing this theme of God's design for a healthy church. Now this morning we're looking at the idea of lighting up the darkness. God's desire for His church, universally speaking, but certainly locally speaking, is for the people of God to live our lives in such a way that we are lighting up, we're dispelling the darkness in which we uh, live in the midst of. Remember the Lord tells us that we're in the world, but we are not of the world. We've been changed. We're part of the family of God, and uh, things are different for us. God's given us His strength, His power, and so God desires for us to live that out. And These things, we, we know we're to do these things, but there's a great uh, contrast in the Word this morning that the Lord uses to paint what I think is a real distinct picture, a real distinct difference between God's people and everybody else. And I pray that it would encourage you and minister to you. And then tonight, as we move into chapter 3 in looking at God's design for His church, is standing firm in the gospel. Now, today in our culture, there seems to be a lot of confusion about what the gospel message is. Is. And we're going to kind of dive into that as it relates to holding fast to that. We cannot, and we need to stop expecting, as a church in America today, we need to stop, as Southern Baptists today, and boy, we've written plenty of books about this, we need to stop trying to use natural means to do a supernatural work. It won't, it won't fly. And we've got a lot of attempts today to make the gospel message palatable to our culture today. And we're salt and we're light. We're distinct and we're set apart. And Jesus, the message of the cross is always going to be offensive. Not that we're trying to be overtly offensive, but the cross is offensive. And our culture today is confused about a number of things. We don't need to confuse them with the gospel. It needs, we need to see and understand what that message is. And as a church, how we are to hold fast to that uncompromising message because that's the message that God uses to transform and save and resurrect supernaturally, spiritually people, spiritual people that are dead in their trespasses and sins. And there is not a natural means to bring about the supernatural work of God. It doesn't exist. We need to stop relying on all of these things and, and we need to come back to the anchor of the gospel. Uh, so that's tonight. That's the trailer uh, for tonight. So I hope you'll be back. So this morning in uh, Philippians chapter 2, we're going to begin in verse 12 as we look at, at this idea of lighting up the darkness, illuminating the darkness. 
So if you would this morning, let's stand as we honor the reading of God's Word. Begin here, Philippians 2, verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason you also be glad and rejoice with me. Father, bless the word this morning. Have its perfect work in our lives. Call us to faithfulness. Call us, Lord, to repentance. May you receive the glory, the honor, and praise. In Christ's name we humbly pray. Amen. And you may be seated. You know, uh, fireworks are fun. They used to be real fun. We've lost some of them because we just launch them all the time now. But, uh, you know, back in the day, there were only a few times that we... uh, that we launched fireworks, and in, and in Georgia it was illegal anyway, so it was real special when you did it. You know what I mean? And, and, and we, do, we, just, we just made it okay, and now we just, we just shoot fireworks because it's somebody's birthday, or, you know, uh, your team wins the, 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 the chip game, and we just, we're just launching fireworks all the time. Pets are going crazy. You know, squirrels can't have any peace. It's awful. And, uh, but, but we recognize that in our culture, fireworks have always been a part of, you know, Independence Day. And, and uh, when, we, when we go into a new year, we, uh, we launch those fireworks. And, and, of course, if you've ever had to, the chance, you know, at, uh, when, it, when the Braves, you know, they launch fireworks all the time. But when they win, they're real special, you know, if you're there. And, uh, you know, if you used to at Six Flags, if you could stay there all day, when they closed the park down, they shot fireworks. They do that at Disney World. And uh, if you've ever been to Epcot, they, they got fire, pyrotechnics, just a, this massive, massive fireworks display. And it's great and it's dangerous and you can be sitting over there on the edge and feel the heat and it just brings you into a new appreciation for, you know, what people can do when they throw caution to the wind and live dangerously. Just awesome. And uh, we, we used to the idea of fireworks. And of course, you know, they just, all the colors splashed against the night sky, and uh, it's just neat, right? And of course, the word this morning, Paul uses an analogy, not like fireworks, but he uses the stars in the night sky to, to paint a contrast between the darkness of the world and the light of, of the people of God. And so he uses this theme as he goes through this, and then in the very final verses of chapter 2, he mentions two people that are examples. They exemplify what he talks about in this passage of Scripture. He uses Timothy, and he uses a man by the name of Epaphroditus. And he says of Timothy that he's a young man 
and yet he's willing to take what he has in his youth and even in his inexperience and use that for the glory of God. And, and Paul talks about Timothy's faithfulness and, and that even though he's young, he's, he's committed. Paul can trust him and he, he's a man that will be true to the word and do what he knows he needs to do. And he, and he mentions Epaphroditus. And, uh, you know, we don't name our kids Epaphroditus much today. But uh, Epaphroditus is a man that uh, was very faithful. And Paul says, even to the point of death. And, and he said, you know, he was so sickly uh, that you were concerned about him. And, and, and he was almost to the point of death, but he was faithful, uh, you know, to do what he was called to do in, in taking the word and instruction to you and ministering to you. And he you know, the Lord healed him and had mercy on him, but, but he was faithful. That wasn't a reason for him not to do the things and fulfill the will of God. And so he gives us two great examples. And obviously Paul, his life is an example, right? Here's Paul, he's in, he's in prison and he's writing a letter to the church and he could be very concerned, as we said before, about his certain circumstances and his situation and I'm sure that he is, but he's concerned about this church that he planted. He's concerned about the believers there at this church at Philippi. And he says, I want you to know that when you obey and you live a, a, a God-fearing life, he says, you know, it blesses me. And it blesses me even more that in, your, in my absence, you're still living faithfully. Uh, you're still living this authentic life. So we understand this contrast. When we look into the night sky, we see the stars that are illuminated against the backdrop there, and it's special, and it's unique, and it's distinct. And of course, the Lord said that, that a, a, a city is set on a hill. It's distinct, it's set apart, uh, and that as Christian people, we're to be a light that you put on a lampstand and that it illuminates, right? We're not to put it or hide it under a, a basket, but we're to put it on a stand so everybody can see. And our lives, whether you realize this or not, your life as a Christian is on display. It is. Uh, and in addition to being a light, there's also a target on your back <laughs> because our lives are on display. And we're to live in a way that honors God and that draws this contrast. So first of all, in verse 12, he begins here and he talks about how when we live these lives or when we live out our faith, it lights up the night. When we live out our faith. Now, now listen to me about this. When it, with respect to your faith, salvation. Salvation is supposed to be lived out practically, ethically, and visibly. Practically, ethically, and visibly. We're charged here to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. That does not say salvation is by works, does it? Does it say that? No. But it says as a saved individual, there is to be works that would identify me with such. And this is what it simply means. That as a Christian... I'm moving toward a logical conclusion. Just like a math problem has a solution. Or I struggled with that, but they were solutions. Or at least I got, I was told that they were and I had the wrong one. So math is, you know, it doesn't lie. Math is math. Work the formula, you get the right answer. There's a logical conclusion. And Paul says there is a logical ultimate conclusion to the life 
of a person that has been, you know, been saved by grace through faith. Salvation brings about some change in the life of an individual. Uh, it's worked out by God's power, not my power. Notice what he says there, that for it is God, verse 13, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do. In other words, God has a plan, and His desire is for us to do what? Fulfill that plan, to fulfill that purpose. In other words, salvation is a personal, spiritual experience with public, visible results. And they are public, and they are visible, whether good or bad. We, we are we're saying something in what we do. And so, from a faith standpoint, what you believe, that's what Paul is mentioning here. This is what you believe. Faith, salvation, you've been uh, saved by grace through faith, you're part of God's family, and because of that, then we are to live that out practically, working out that salvation, that it has a logical conclusion. So we light up the night by living out our faith. He also says something else about this faith. What we believe about something ultimately affects what we do. Now we see that in behavior all the time, right? If we respect a person, we respond to them differently than if we disrespect them. What you think of a person affects how you respond to them. If you're in court, you address the court, you address the judge a certain way. If you don't, you could find yourself in contempt. There is a, there is a certain understanding of the formality of that that, that requires a certain response, that requires uh, you know, the proper response from, from folks because of what you believe or what you're told to believe. And what we believe about God and the things of God and His will that will affect what we do. That's working out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Do we fear? Do we reverently understand who God is? And if we do, then we understand we're, we're not in control. We don't have the last say. He's the King of glory. He made all of this. He set these things in motion. And they are not subject to change because we just want them to uh, desperately. That's not how the world works. God has set these things in order. And what we believe up here affects what we do and who we are and who, who we become, basically. So he deals with the thought process up here, your faith. Your faith. Your faith. What you believe. And then he says that it, that it does something. It transforms your character. Verse 14, do all things without complaining and disputing that you may, may become blameless and harmless. Now he, he specifically mentions those two phrases with respect to our character. That's who we are. That's who we are actively in our life, lived out in the community. And it is also, character is also who you are when there's nobody else around, right? So we are to light up the night by living out our faith. We are to light up the night by the transforming of our character. Now Paul would also say something about this over in Romans 12. He would say that there is the world through its outside forces are trying to conform you and I to a certain way. But we're not to let the world press on us into a mold and make us 
the people of the world, we're supposed to be transformed not from the outside in, but from the inside out. That's what he said. By the renewing of our mind, changing the way you think, uh, living out a Christian worldview as opposed to a secular one. I mean, if, you know, look around today. The world is adamantly opposed to the worldview and the vision of God. In, a, in our culture, in the world, just at the culture at large, the world is, it lives in contrast to that. Uh, so there is this great contrast. So he says we're the light of the night by transforming our character. We're to dispel this darkness by the way we live. He says without complaining and disputing. You know what that is? That's your attitude. That's your attitude. Now it, does, it doesn't mean that, that we get that right all the time. And it doesn't mean there's not a time to push back and to say what is truth and it might come across as uh, critical. Because we're, we're people of truth. And there's a lot of things in our world today that are outright demonic and we cannot compromise with those things. We need to be critical of those things and push back and dispel that evil that it is. They will not go, those things are not going to go away on their own. So he's not talking about standing for truth. But he's talking about an attitude as a Christian that you're never satisfied. And that you just live a life of dissatisfaction. The world is bad. The world is, can be a terrible place. Difficulty and, and circumstances that are outside of your control happen all the time. Those things are out of our control. We, we can't uh, change those things. But how we respond to those things says a lot about who we are. And he says that our attitude needs to be one that we're not always complaining and disputing. Our attitude is different. It's unique. And we live this out in a practical way. We learn to look at things differently. I mean, God's in control, right? So from a unique perspective with attitude he says without complaining and disputing now again Paul is saying this from jail I'm sure there's things he could complain about okay he also mentioned something else he uses the phrase blameless and harmless what is this this is unique morality we're blameless we're harmless uh, we're pure like refined metal, okay? Uh, life has to get hot. Times have to get difficult for it to purge out things in our life that are of no consequence. It's easy in our culture today to get very comfortable and just go through life and, uh, you know, it is what it is and we just deal with it. We're to be distinct. We're to be unique. Uh, the things and the challenges of life, we look at them through this worldview and it, and it comes from a unique perspective, the perspective of God. And there are, there's morality that is attached to it. And we're to be blameless and we're to be harmless. Remember, wise as serpents, harmless as doves. Now, this, this does not mean 
that we are always going to get this right. But there is an expectation on the part that God has for His family to walk, talk, act like the people we say that we are. It's not going to mean we don't blow it from time to time, but, but just as we look at our life in general, we're known, of people, we're known by people to be blameless and harmless. We're not habitual violators, right? You might be listening to your favorite song going down the road and you might get a little past 65 and at the right hill, just at the right time, there might be this certain colored car that might make a real quick U-turn and pull you over to remind you you have cruise control and you need to use it. And if you get a ticket, that does not mean that you're a habitual violator. It probably means that you're going to make sure the next time your favorite song comes on that you're going to keep it under that threshold and control your actions, right? Because you don't want to be known as a constant speeder because you're not going to be able to afford the car because of the insurance, right? (laughs) There's a difference. There's a difference between getting a ticket and being a habitual violator. And I, and I use that analogy when we're talking about the character of God's people. We're, we're known as people that we are without, you know, we don't always complain. The world's bad. Again, when we look at the cross, the cross is a picture of a godly man who knew no sin that was crucified. They killed the only sinless, just man. That did happen. Is that a raw deal? Yes. Is it unfair? Yes. Is it ungodly? Yes. Is it demonic and evil and all of those things? Yes. But was it planned? Oh, yeah. You bet it was. Now, when we meet Christ and we have an authentic encounter with Christ, it changes us. We're changed by the power of God. Our attitude, what we think and what we believe and how that is lived out is different. And he says that it is this contrast, that it is this picture, he says, you shine as lights in the world. You know, uh, right now, the, and I don't know why it's the case, but you know, right now the moon is rising late. You, you can be up early in, you know, late in the afternoon or whatever late in the evening, and, and the moon's not risen yet. And so it's just dark, very dark. And if you're in a rural area where there's not a lot of light anyway, you really get a picture on a clear night of, of the, the, the backdrop of darkness, and it's just sprinkled with the, the stars of heaven. And it's, it's beautiful. I mean, when it's just real dark or there's a new moon and there's no other light except for the stars against the backdrop, of space it's just beautiful it's just it's just very distinct and he says that's the picture I'm going with here I I want your life your character who you are uh, as you're living out your faith as you're working out your salvation I want it to be that distinct that in the midst of a dark night you are the light you are those stars and as we look into the night sky, we, we, see, you know, we can see the constellations, you know. We're looking for the Big Dipper. 
And we're looking for Orion's belt, you know. You can see these things. They're, they're unique and they're distinct and they're set against that darkness of the night and they just shine. And he says, I want, I want your life to be lived that way. Now, this, this passage of Scripture is, is unique to me because when Miss Margie Steedley went home to be with the Lord, it was on a night. And when I found out that, that she had passed away and I went outside and I came out from my carport to get in the car to go to Mr. George's home, as I rounded out from the carport and I looked over to the eastern sky, there was no moon and it was just a, the dead of darkness, but there was this beautiful picture of the stars. That's the first thing that I saw. When I, when I rounded the corner and my eyes were just set on the horizon, that's what I saw. And, and, and immediately it put in my mind this passage of Scripture. And, and at her funeral, I used this passage of Scripture to describe her life. Because Margie was like that. She was, she was a, a, a very hospitable person. And whatever you could say in words with respect to telling somebody that she cared about you, she said that over speckle perch, lace cornbread, and coleslaw and cheese grits, and your plate would never run out of it if you were at their house. And I miss it, let me tell you. They were just salty people, and her life was distinct like that. She wasn't perfect, but that was her life it was characterized by that and so when 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 i knew i was to preach at her funeral that this is that passage that i was drawn to because of her life and that moves me to this other point this final point with respect to lighting up the night sky here paul mentions here holding fast the word of life how is it that we tell somebody about christ how is it that we Speak to someone about their need for Jesus. Well, you know, we, we have a language and we're going to use words. And, and everybody's got a, a format of, of how they want to share it and how you're supposed to share it. And some people, if you don't share it like this, you're really not sharing it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, but here's, here's the thing. Whatever it is that you're saying, whatever it is that you're saying or going to say, if you know that person and they know you, your life better back up what you're saying. It needs to be real. You, you need to be the authentic person. And that's why verse 16 is not before verse 14. No, he talks about who we are so that when we share that message, it has a, a work because it's tied to the authentic nature of the person that is sharing it. See, I'm, I'm of the mindset that you, that you use what you got. You use what you got. And, and maybe you're not a person that has the, the, the greatest way in trying to share this with a person. Well, just, just love those people. You, again, I, I want to stress that when we're talking about sinners coming to saving faith, this is a supernatural thing. Do you mean to tell me that God can't take your attempt? 
God can't take your life and your attempt and whatever it is that you're gifted at and use that to bring people to saving faith? Of course He can. If He can't, He ain't God. He'll use what you got. If you'll offer it, some of us have more, some of us have less, but we, we all got something. And whatever it is that we have, just use it. And let God take that little and make it much in His mind, in His eyes, and in his, uh, for His glory. Just use what you got. If you're good with words, use words. If you're not good with words, but you're good at cooking, then you cook for the glory of God. And you invite folks over. <laughs> and tell them if they're coming over to bring somebody with them. A good friend of mine down in uh, Adele, there at uh, Grace Baptist Church down there, uh, you know, their, their thing, their niche, if you will, of how they're sharing the gospel with the next generation is uh, they ask the community, if, if you have homework, you need a tutor, it's, it's free. You show up and we will help you. We'll help, you, we'll help your kid do their homework, learn their math, learn their English. And, and the whole time, they're going to do what? They're building relationships, they're building bridges, and they're doing what? They're sharing Jesus with them. And I want to tell you, it'll have, it'll have an effect. Just, just use what you got. Just use what you got. When I'm thinking about Margie, she just used what she got. She could cook. She was hospitable. And that's what she used. And she blessed the many people doing that. Folks, our world's dark. It's getting darker. You can make a difference by living out your faith and using whatever you got for the glory of God. I'm reminded of a story of a, of a man that was a Bible salesman. And back when you did those things, like you sold encyclopedias years ago, and he was a Bible salesman. And this man had a speech impediment. He, he stuttered quite a bit. And yet every year he outsold every other salesman. I'm not talking about one or two Bibles, by cases of Bibles. And, you know, at the, at the year review when they have their dinner and they hand out the awards for the, who's the best salesman, and again, he was going to win it. And, and one of the guys that always came in, Second place. He was the kind of guy that, you know, he could sell you know, ice to an Eskimo. He was that kind of guy. And uh, he was like, look, can I ask you a question? And there's no offense intended here. But I got to ask, how, how does a guy that has a stuttering problem outsell me every year selling Bibles? How do you do that? I want to know. And he said, okay, I'll, I'll tell you. He says, when I go knock on the door and I'm going to sell them a Bible, I very simply tell them who I am and I tell them what I'm there to do. I'm here to sell you a Bible. And he says, and then I look at them and I say, do you want to buy this Bible or would you like for me to read it to you? And he says, they buy it every time. Use what you got. 
Use what you got. Use what you got. For the glory of God. Whatever it is. God can take it and use it. And I'll tell you, it's like everything else. The company you keep, the company you keep consistently is the kind of person that you're going to be. That's why your mom and your daddy have always told you, son, you go laying down with them dogs, you're going to get up to sleep. That's biblical, man. The company that you consistently keep, that's the person that you're going to be. That's why, that's, why, that's why God made a local church for that reason. So that we could keep good company and so that not only could we show up on a Sunday morning and we could sit with each other, across from each other, but we, we got those small Sunday school groups that were together. And when, when, when the kids having the birthday party, they invite their Sunday school class, that's, that's how it works. Because we need that encouragement. We need good, godly company so it'll encourage us to be the people that we are and live out our faith authentically. Why? Because he says the world is as dark as that night. And I want you to be those stars sprinkled into the heavens that no matter where you are, when you look up, you can see them. And I'll tell you something else about the stars. Long before we ever had GPSs and maps and all of those kinds of things, you know what we had? We had stars. We, somehow, somehow, we found our way around the world by looking at the sky. And we didn't get lost. It's for direction. It's for distinction. Keep that in mind. We're to be that type of contrast and we're to direct people to the one who can save. That's the goal. That's who we are. And tonight we'll talk about that message. It's not complex. We just need to be faithful to it. Use what you got for the glory of God. Let's pray this morning. Father, we love you. Lord, we're your children and we're special to you, just like our children are special to us. God, you have given us your word for our, for our good. Help us to see it for what it is. And God, I pray that, Lord, we take it to heart, that it would change and transform us, Lord, that we would really live out that authentic life for you. Whatever gift we have, God, may we put it to good use for your glory. And I pray this morning that if we're lost and if we're without Christ, if we don't know you as our Lord and Savior this morning, I pray that as your scriptures say that, you know, today is the day and that now is the appointed time, that, Lord, today as we stand and we sing a song of invitation, that, Lord, you would give them the strength to step out in faith, to make that faith known. Change us, Father. Encourage us and strengthen us in our walk with you, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand on our feet, church. So we